Hello. Hi. Hi there. Hello there. Hi. I'm Anna. And I'm B. And we'd like to welcome you to Ringing Up the Queer. Ringing Up the Queer. One day we will have a theme song, but it's not today. <laughs> Will this will, will will this ever end? It's bringing up the queer. Do, 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 do. Sit down. <laughs> I've got something to show you. <laughs> but for now, listen to seven minutes of us hit a single key on a keyboard. I like it. It's got elements of news at town, you know. <laughs> If we want to parallel ourselves to anything, it's not going to be a comedy podcast. It's not even going to be a sort of informative discussion-based podcast. It's going to be news at 10. (laughs) (laughs) My my true motivation comes out. (laughs) It's all I've ever wanted. I'm going to get myself like one of those blue trouser suits. Hi. Welcome to Bringing Up the Queer. I'm Trevor McDonald. And she's <laughs> Natasha Kaplinsky. Hello. <laughs> I've got right wing sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not sure whether I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not actually. <laughs> I just want to say um, thank you all for tuning in, and it's lovely to have you here. Mm, and it's lovely to have you here too, B. Thanks, Anna. You too. Friends, sisters. We are friends. Sometimes frenemies, I think. <laughs> Contentious personalities in this dark and weary world. We are. We're quite. I think we're both quite like friendly people who are also very disagreeable. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Like she's like Paula Abdul, and I'm like Scat Cat. And you know what they say? <laughs> <laughs> two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> Five birds, three stones, <laughs> chemsex. 18 heads of fish. <laughs> chemsex? <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> My name's Anna Surma. I'm a poet and artist with a diverse practice. I'm a queer femme living in Manchester, and I want to introduce you to my sister, B. Hi, my name's B. I am a trans woman, queer person, woman, femme, whatever, just she pronouns, living in Manchester. I am a musician and do lots of music things, and I love art and things like that. We're talking about identity, consistency, stability, humanity. <laughs> in an episode we're calling Keeping It Together. Keeping It Together. Ooh. So tell me, B, how do you keep it together? Well, being a disagreeable and difficult person, I'm going to begin by defining what I mean by keeping it together in this context. Oh, yes, please. So I don't, when I think about keeping it together, I don't think about, um, I don't think about this, you know, oh, I'm having an emotionally, an emotionally loose moment. Mm. And I need to therefore tighten up my, the strings holding the parts of myself together. Yeah. 
I don't think about it that way. I think about it in the sense of how do I how do I maintain my sense of self in a world where that sense of self is often invalidated or where it has been invalidated during my formative years. Absolutely. Um, for those uh, for those listeners that don't know, uh, because they haven't listened to a single episode or have any knowledge of, dear God, why we are doing what we're doing, uh, B and I have both been diagnosed with the disorder BPD, uh, which one of its primary characteristics is having an unstable sense of identity. Yeah, I, I believe that the roots of it are in childhood invalidation. So mm. my, my experience is that it's actually reasonably common for uh, trans people to be diagnosed with BPD. Yes. Um, and I think that comes from having quite a clear sense of who you are as a child. So like I knew who I was in, in kind of intrinsically very early on, but not having that reflected back to me, not having that mirroring that parents do with children to validate the child's emotions. When that doesn't happen, it does create this unstable sense of self and you know it can arise in a number of situations you know whether your parents are having difficulties with each other and you're having to put on a brave face even as a child but it but it all has its roots in a kind of either a self-invalidation or an external invalidation during a period of your time when your brain is basically sponge and really needs healthy healthy experiences thank god my brain turned to granite last month it's been life has been so much better since i calcified Oh my gosh, is that the drinking? <laughs> Lockdown's been hard, okay? <laughs> Just doing what I can to get by. Is this my intervention? I know, yeah, it might be. It might be. And it's So yeah, keeping it together for me is this really complex idea of how do I find a, a way of existing where the different parts of myself can have conversations with each other in quite a harmonious way. What about you, though? What about you? That that's me. What 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 kind of things does it bring up for you? Yeah, so I, I have also been gifted with uh, a not so stable sense of identity. I have often struggled. I, I have historically struggled really, really badly with not knowing who I was and looking for someone to define me. And so the idea of keeping it together for me was about finding the things I could hold on to. Give, talk to me at age 19 and I wouldn't have been able to tell you who I was up, down, left, right or centre. There was just no conception of who this person was. And what I did know I didn't like particularly. So uh, I was just having a whale of a time. Uh, and so when it's come to sort of adult life, it's been a, a case of finding those things to hold on to, finding those things that keep me together. And not so much strangle holding them, but knowing that they're sort of, they can be transient and they can be sort of, they can be important at once and then insignificant the next. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the idea of keeping it together is a, a really interesting one to me because I'm, I'm a person that at once uh, puts identity at the forefront of everything, but also recognizes that it may not be anything yeah, I I don't like I identity is such a it's it's like water that slips through your fingers. I think if you try and hold it, you know, there's so much of identity is in what you do, but the but there's moments when you are by yourself and when you reflect on, especially you know, for me with my experience of my BPD, 
And then, and just there's something else that occurs to me. And I'll come back to the point about identity being difficult to sort of firm and hold. But um, I think one of the things about BPD for me, and I, I think potentially one of the things about the queer experience. This is really a you know a big generalization, but anecdotally it feels true to me is that in heteronormative contexts in in straight in the straight world there is this kind of narrative of you have a say the say the years from 11 to 18 are expected to be years of fluctuating identity and you experience that fluctuation at the same time as your peers and through the the fires of adolescent experience it that identity is then forged and you have a degree of solidity into your adult life. And then, you you know, you go to uni, maybe there's a bit more forging that goes on then, or maybe that's the time. And and, and then you do your profession and your career and then you die. <laughs> but... Yay. Or, you, you know, you get married and you have kids and then you die. But... Same thing to me. Wah, wah, wah. Ball and chain, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. My husband never does the cleaning, yeah. <laughs> and ironically that's that is true about the division of labor in most heteronormative households but anyway um the so, so um solidarity to my so, yeah solidarity on that one um i don't know how many professional i don't know if we'd have as many male professional musicians if they had more housework to do <laughs> really do you know what i mean sure like if they didn't have a whole a whole infrastructure of women out there being like, well, I'll do the cleaning so you can practice your guitar, dear. I'll de- I'll deny my own girls, but yes. So, um, I think the difference between that heteronormative experience and it is, you know, it's it's a narrative. It's not necessarily always the reality, but the the queer experience doesn't have that, or it gets disrupted in many cases. Mm. We often talk about second puberties. Uh, yeah, in, not just in a not just in a trans context, but no, in, no, uh, but in in many queer contexts that there is, I I think I think there is a general discussion within heteronormative spaces about second puberties, about in your late twenties having uh, an adjustment of hormones anyway, but uh, going through those nascent experiences of um, learning about yourself, of adapting, uh, it happens. At, different times and at multiple times for queer people and has happened at multiple times for us yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that means that you don't have that i mean i don't i don't feel like i've had that yet had that final forging point or even had i've had so many you know sure but let me let me ask you this does that mean you think you have and pardon the uh, the TV speak here, I guess anime speak, I guess Final Fantasy speak. Uh, does that mean you think you have a final form? <laughs> yeah, this is where it gets difficult. Those those generalizations fall apart because I'm not sure that ever, anyone has a final form. No, we're creatures in flux. But I think there are there are subtle there are differences though, like. Those moments of forging and reforging and those moments of identity falling apart and keeping it together are so existential. I think that that's the difference for me. It's it's not a case of, well, maybe I want to maybe I want to be a fashion designer. Maybe I want to be a fashion illustrator. Maybe I want to be a drummer or maybe I want to be a guitarist, maybe I want to be a film director. It's not like that. It's like you know, it goes right to the heart of, you know, gender. 
it goes right to for me it goes right to the heart of of race and ethnicity and religion and it it feels like when it comes to sexuality and gender so much of the of the assumptions about who we are as people are formed on those two pillars sure. it's not a very good not very good terminology but hopefully you understand what i mean big big phallic obelisks formed, big phallic <laughs> formed exactly. on formed on those two dildos of concepts yeah i think like, that's common parlance right yeah absolutely <laughs> um i i think the the dildos of identity but i think oh! that <laughs> thesis statement <laughs> I, I I think that um one of the difficulties I think that cis people sometimes have in relation to trans people and cis cis gay people as well and lesbian people and especially transphobic people is well why can't you just be a a woman into into masculine things why can't you just be a man into feminine things and I think that's where it it falls apart because. Underneath that, there's such an existential thing. So, if, yeah, keeping it together for me is, yeah, it's difficult. It's re- what do you think? I think it's really difficult to kind of express very clearly what those differences are between the the stability, the stable heteronormative identity narrative and the queer, mm. non-linear, a-generational, existential <laughs> um, identity journey. What do you think? Funnily enough, the topic of our last episode was tragedy plus time equals comedy. And I think uh, one one of the defining ways in which I think about personhood is that adversity builds character. I have experienced in my life is that points of adversity have allowed me to explore who I am. And I think on average, queer people tend to, they they have access to that kind of adversity. It, it provokes us to grow and change in different ways we may get we may get old too quickly and actually miss out on some of those experiences it's part of the reason i think why we do experience that second second puberty is because our first puberty is often taken away from us because we're having to deal with other things uh, we have to batten down the hatches because we're being picked on because we we're not allowed to be who we are because life isn't treating us particularly fairly although what's the concept of fairness who knows no but i think that this this it's really difficult to put into words to people that aren't from the community what the experience is like like the examples i can give are really really predictable but for example you know wanting a barbie and being told that i couldn't get a barbie or wanting or wearing my mum's heels every day and then finding that my dad had taken them away <laughs> And like hidden them away in a place that I couldn't get to, so I wouldn't wear them. You know, being six and that happening. Drawing flowers was one for me when I was 10, 11. Yeah. All I wanted to do was draw flowers. And I found myself drawn to, I found myself feeling like I should be performing. Yeah, yeah, completely. And drawing skulls and crossbones and stuff. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Like, and then being at school and being, well, you know, my, this is my best friend, I, you know, best male friend, and I, f- I feel kind of i feel like sexual curiosity you know oh yeah with okay. with, with with my in that group and then finding finding you know there's no way of voicing that it's too, it's too dangerous to voice that and then you know the the feelings i was experiencing around my gender identity as well not being able to speak to people at that time and say you know this is something that's going on for me 
Oh, well, I know it, we're a long way off from the school years, but I just want you to know, B, that if you do feel like you need to talk about your gender, if you feel like you need to explore those aspects of your personality in a space with another person, don't come to me. <laughs> it's not welcome here. Thanks, I'll just make a podcast instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shout my problems into the void. So this is really interesting to me because I think that I still experience that divergence inside myself. So I, I still experience what we we now call in, internalized transphobia or internalized homophobia and things like that. And I experience that on a daily basis. I often feel this kind of divergence in, in my thinking on, on very, very obvious things. It almost feels like I'm carrying around a constructed version of myself that I made in my teenage years t- to protect myself from from danger. That that That's something that Sorry, uh, do do you want to do you want to just explain a little bit more what you mean by who is that version of yourself? The, the version. The... Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to because I I love talking about myself. But me too. I think that yeah, pure BPD, isn't it? I'm the most interesting person I know. <laughs> so I think identity and consistency are hard for me, and that is because when I. I was getting messages from a really, really formative age that there was something wrong with me, that my inc- inclination, desire, interests in feminine things or thing, you know, g- gendered things that were on the other side of the binary, and certainly not just an interest in it, but my behaviours, you know, my body language, my way of expressing myself, etc., um, all didn't conform with the expectations of a child of my gender assignment. I love the idea of I, a gender assignment that, I know, that like, <laughs> you were you were given some homework to do and you've really just flunked out of school on this one, bud. I know. I well to be honest, it's kind of it kind of felt like that when I got to school because um after my first kind of six months there and I it was really rough when I arrived and I didn't fit in and it, I noticed that it was highly segregated along gender lines and um I was expected to kind of learn how to be a man and learn how to be a boy or whatever through these other boys and um it did feel like I was almost studying once I got once I had the really bad experience had some really bad experiences it was almost I almost moved into this state of being hyper hyper focused on other people's small behaviors so really like I've, I've heard actually um autistic friends talk about you know, learning the basics of social interaction in order that they can com- communicate better with non-autistic people. And it was a bit like that, but studying male gendered behavior. Like it was a, it was about really kind of forming this uh, shield around myself. And Oh, he put just, his hands down his pants this way. I could do that and appear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, At times it was really odd. It was like, well, do I scratch my balls now? <laughs> oh, like, he's um, punching him on the shoulder in that way. Maybe I could do that. Oh, wait, I am three feet shorter than this person, though. So maybe. <laughs> yeah, like literally it was it got to this like obsessive level like it's not surprised i did actually have you know a nervous breakdown at the end of my teen years because it was this obsessive level of okay if i say a joke now i need to scratch my balls or this one this means gay so say that 
and then this is how you make the boys laugh. So do that, and then you won't be picked on. And so I created this this person, you know. And then I would go home. I would my my home life was very very difficult. I would I would have very difficult evenings almost every night. Of shouting, screaming, suicidal thoughts, all of these, th- all the things. And um, the problem is that 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 person that I created still lives inside me. So you don't just undo day every single day, you know, eight or nine, ten years of your life of acting. <laughs> you don't just undo that overnight. And what was so difficult is that it's not simply putting on a persona; it's inhabiting a persona. It's Daniel Day Lewising that business. Yeah, no, it's absolutely Daniel Day Lewising. It's it's you you end up feeling those things at times, and there are times when you do enjoy the experience, and and then you feel incredibly confused. And I think a relatable experience for everyone is seeking validation in your teen years, whether that's of your peers, of your teachers. Not everyone, but definitely me. May, may I interrupt that just really quickly, just to say studies have shown um, in a reputable source i can't remember exactly that the teenage brain is hardwired to want that the most like it's hardwired to want approval from peers the most yeah because what what you've got is a very confusing and isolating experience where you're coming to terms with your basically your own consciousness with your own place in the world and you feel deathly alone in it and so when you can make someone laugh when you can make someone see you and feel good about yourself those things are like they feel like a necessity and so yeah absolutely it's perfectly understandable if you are getting no good feedback for what feels authentic that you'd create something that would um allow you to connect to people the the thing about bpd uh where we only we've alluded to it already is that it comes about because of sort of negative stimulus in the childhood i i often think of it as learning the wrong lessons uh, maybe because they, the right lessons just weren't there to be taught, but it, having the takeaway that uh, having takeaways that might involve uh, emotional invalidation and might involve um, self uh, acts of self hatred might involve yep yeah, uh, those experiences being reinforced exactly responding to things in damaging ways and so you you've got all of these bad lessons learned it, it's it's so understandable that going into adulthood, all these times where the the only way you've been able to experience positive emotions have been these sort of suspect roots, that it take ages to untangle that, not least of which because finding positive roots when you are queer, especially very visibly queer, isn't easy. I mean, it's getting easier, which is wonderful, but there's still a massive amount of backlash for being visibly queer. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a song I'd love to share on this oh i'd love to hear it so it's a song that i just i don't fully know what the artist's interpretation of it is but for me it's totally about that experience of being invalidated by your parents and confused artist is dead baby <laughs> take, take take your interpretation and make it sacrosanct so this is a really really beautiful song that often makes me cry called a better son slash daughter by a band called rilo kylie Thanks for tuning in to bringing up the queer on your preferred podcast provider. Unfortunately, due to copyright law, we cannot play songs or clips at this point. 
But if you would like to listen to the songs that we played in the show, find us on Spotify or Apple Music at our Bringing Up the Queer playlist. Back to the episode. And yeah. we're back. Mm. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, thank you. I'm really glad you like it. I hope people listening enjoyed it as well. It's cathartic. It's re- relatable. Um, it's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got me through some really tough times, that song. Yeah. When I've, like, when I've been in kind of floods of tears and I've just needed someone to, to help me understand, like, to, to give voice and to give a frame around how I'm feeling. Mm put it in its place um that that song has really helped me so it's so what this song does is it talks about who this person is i'm assuming jenny lewis wrote this um jenny lewis being the front person of riley kiley um i i what it brings to me is this sense that uh this sense of who you are in relation to in particular your parents, but she also talks about being a good friend as well. So who you are in relation to your friends and who you are in relation to the history that you have uh, with your uh, family. Literally there's a line, your mother's still calling you insane and high, swearing it's different this time. Uh, It's this understanding of each other that you have with, and especially with parents that builds over time. And so what it brings me to is this idea of what our identity is what I kind of want to do now is delineate little parts of my identity. Um, uh, I'm going to rattle them off now. There's just three that have come to me and there's kind of the relational part of our identity, who we are in relation to other people, be those uh, family members, friends, uh, strangers, work colleagues, who, who we are in relation to other people. There's the historical, who we are in terms of our history, where we've been, the people that we've seen and the things that we've done. Uh, And then there's also this, for me, something separate, which is personal. It's, and I think personal is a good way to describe it, but the way that I've always thought of it is core, this immutable, intrinsic part of who Almost like the soul. Sure. I think it really does come into a sort of spiritual because if I was being very analytical and scientific about it, I'd be like, oh no, this is all behavioral. This is, this is what we've learned to do. This is reflected behaviors. But I think to have a... There's something transcendent about it, isn't there? Yeah, completely. To have a sense of oneself that is so, that is somewhat innate that you yeah. that you feel okay while the people in my life may change while my history may grow in ways in which I cannot control there is some immutable intrinsic part of me that I can hold on to and go okay this is my identity yeah um, yeah that I find really really interesting and so I was kind of looking at these three different categories as I was looking at the song and you really get the sense of the relational and historical there as well um that all these ideas about who you should be being um, a better daughter or son, being alert and positive, even though it hurts being honest, brave, and a real good listener. Um, You've got all these ideas that um, the relational and historical are are affecting. But I I think the relational for me in that song though, is the, is the relationship with, with the mother Mm. at the start. Um, You have that trans, it's like a transmutation, isn't it? I, I think there's something so that because so 
when you were saying that, the, the thing it made me think of is, so there's a, there's a line in the song about saying that the, the narrator says to, to, to her mother, you know, God never blessed her, God never blessed your insides, basically. Yeah. And that line makes me think of myself. Okay. So although, although I kind of put myself in the shoes of Jenny Lewis on that song, you know, of mm. her experience and I, I relate to it. And it oh my God, you're relating to, to media? Ew. <laughs> but there's, there's something about the blessing of, you know, that sense of feeling wrong inside. Mm. That it just, it really gets me in a very vulnerable point in, in my soul. <laughs> but there's something about um, the, the relationship we have with our parents and how our emotions are shared. Mm. And something about people we're really close to as well, where our emotions are shared with those people. Mm. It's, you know, if there's someone you love and they feel bad, you're going to feel bad too, a yeah. very basic way of explain, explaining it. But there's something in the song about the relational of that. She's experiencing her mum and it's causing her pain, you know? She's like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, I'm in bed. I can't get up. This is too much. Your pain is is, is in me. Mm. Um. But then it goes through this this transformation and turns into this positive of, well, well I'm going to channel it into being a better person. Okay. It's, it's a relating to others in a better way. Okay. See, yeah. that's so funny because I don't I don't hear that necessarily. I hear an external pressure, I, an idea of who you should be, which is kind of formed mm. from that relationship. That That's what I hear. Mm. I don't hear that, okay, I'm going to take all this energy all these, uh, all, all all this shared emotion that we have here, and I'm going to turn it into growth. It's sort of like I'm going to take all this energy, and it's going to make me want to be something that I'm maybe not, maybe not yet. So, do do you mean that it's it's ultimately it's actually still quite downbeat? It is for that me, is, yeah, yeah. No, for me, for me, it's totally not. For me, it's like it's defiance. Mm. It's almost saying. Yes, this hurts, but but for me, the, like the last, the kind of the close of the song is very literal. Mm. It's like you you will fight, and and you you'll fake it if you have to fake it. Yeah. You're not going to give up. You're going to keep going, and it's going to be okay. Great. That that's ultimately what I get from the song. That, that's wonderful. I think I think the last verse really does speak to that. Your ship may be coming in. You're weak, but not giving in. Like that's that's totally speaking to i mean literally the last line is and you'll fight it you'll go out fighting all of them exactly um, exactly so yeah I, I don't i don't get that um i don't get that from it but yeah it's a sure. wonderful song isn't it? it it really really is like but yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean how dare we have different perspectives it's not allowed no it's beautiful yeah. like <laughs> relation but yeah sorry but you you were saying something for me like the relation that's the relational aspect of that song mm. whereas the historical is you know the 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 you know mum and the past and things like that but mm. um the person there is been. something the, i think the point exactly but the point why you and i maybe disagree on our interpretations is in the last one in the personal mm. because for me and this is where the beauty the beauty of connection is like when i listen to that song i'm in that song you know yeah of course it's that experience of transference of being in there of feeling the emotions that the person is expressing and being that person for the moment of the song and so for me that 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 personal element is the fighting and the overcoming whereas for you the personal is the um it's more it's 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 less definitive than that yeah definitely i think the point of 
at the point of the biggest connection for me the part where i was definitely singing along is the release in the and sometimes when you're on you're really on and your friends they yeah, sing yeah. along and they love you like i love that <laughs> yeah uh that that was my point of connection my point of release with that song um oh it's beautiful it's so be it speaks so well to bpd <laughs> Of like that extreme emotional reactions that you have to things because of the unstable identity and everything Woo! and how. Um... But what I want to talk about now, if that's okay with you, is I'd really like to talk because we're calling this episode Keeping It Together. And I'd like to know, I'd like to talk about and I'd like to know how you keep it together. I'd like to talk about how I keep it together too. Because we're both okay. people that have spent a lot of time working on ourselves. And yeah, uh, we've arrived at some pretty positive conclusions in place. We've arrived <laughs> at some pretty positive conclusions in places. In places. In places. <laughs> oh. Hey, to deny it's that we... It's still hard. I just want to say that. It's not like some kind of... Yeah, we've not like wonderful. reached... Yeah, we've not reached... And that's just it. Like I'm, I said before, do you think you have a final form? Because I just don't think we're going to stop doing that work. How do I keep it together? Okay. Uh, creativity separate from oh gosh i can't do it in a pithy way creativity separate from having to make something that's really important to me so playing music uh writing art whatever it is for with no end goal in sight for, for no for no reason other than expressing and trying not to do it from a thinking place that's one way i keep it together the minute I start thinking about, I've got to make this thing, I've got to do this thing, it gets it gets tied up into I, concepts of identity and of relational value, you know, to speak to your point about writing, writing a song or making a recording that's going to be so good that my peers will approve and, and, and adore me. And it becomes, un, it becomes unhealthy. So, yeah, f, f, that's one for me. What about you? Most of my growth really as a person has been rooted in understanding what i know i can conquer what what i know i can deal with uh, unknowability was like a, a real facet of my mental health issues my biggest downturns in life have been centered around not knowing who i am what i'm doing uh, mm. and unknowability is something that like I, I really fight against and so knowing has been a lot of it when i talked earlier about the categories that um, the, the, these sort of categories of identity, the relational, the historical, the personal, I, I was dealing with a problem where I didn't have a good grasp on my historical because of the way in which uh, my mental health issues were, were affecting it. Everything that had ever happened to me that was bad was my fault. Um, I didn't have a good grip on the relational because I was too busy uh, focusing on the fact that everyone hated me. And it was a fact. Oh, God. Still is. <laughs> Uh, and the personal was just such at such great distance to me. Um, but uh, there are some things that have always tied me down. And I think defining who we are by what we do, what we take in, whether it's people or it's art or it's music, is... A little limiting, but I think can be a great way to connect with people, to feel closeness, and to um, experience uh, some of that validation that we were talking about before, that 
Um, whether we like it or not, I think we all seek, regardless of how enlightened we are. Um, so yeah, I have a song that I'd like to play for you that really plays into my sort of historical sense of identity. And it's a song by a French artist called Francois Viro. And the song is Dummies. So here's Dummies by Francois Viro. It's an interesting little acoustic song, but I just remember all these times that I've felt at my worst and wanted to feel connected to something where this has been the thing that I've put on this entire album, really. Uh, I think it is on Spotify now, but it's just a quaint little album of a French guy singing in somewhat broken English. These honest little songs about love and traveling and feeling yourself that uh, really just makes me feel connected to who I was and kind of in some senses, like the Riley Kylie song, who, who I wanted to be. Mm. That, that sense of sweetness, that sense of innocence is really, really uh, pervasive in the song. And, Does it feel more special uh, to you because it's less well-known? Uh, I think so in some regards. I've always been a bit of a cool hunter. Yeah. But like... Um, the, the, but not, not, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'm thinking to myself, like, it's because I think there's something valid. I mean, cool hunting is valid as well, but I think there's something more than that for me about being able to personally invest in something that isn't personally invested in by lots of other people. Sure. I find it much harder to relate to Ariana Grande just because she is popular. Yeah, like she's got lots of owners. <laughs> like, like there are lots of people that own the songs or have their interpretations of the songs, and I don't know. Like, there are people that are really comfortable with that. You know, there's lots of U2 fans out there, for example, and Oasis fans and stuff. For me, it's always that's been a real part of connection to something is the sense that it's not something which is owned by lots of people that doesn't have lots of investors in it already. Or definitely. I think yeah. the the biggest lie of Radiohead is that they're uh, just for you and only you, when in fact they are demonstrably very popular. Yeah, they're a really interesting one, aren't they? Like demonstrably very popular, yet they still manage to maintain that. I'm speaking directly yeah. to you. You're on your own, and like obviously, I think we've both been at points in our life where we can talk about really liking Radiohead, but even then, it's kind of you still feel like you're finding someone. You've you found a kindred spirit. Yeah. I think especially Radiohead post OK Computer. <laughs> that that's the thing that's really special. Like I've met so many people that are even my drum teacher that are kind of like, this is one of the good Radiohead songs, and I'll put on something from the bands, you know. And um, yeah, for me, there's a world of difference between Radiohead post Kid A and pre Kid A. Um, so when you find someone else that's that is like Kid A is the best one, <laughs> or like yeah. I love Amnesiac or or yeah, something like Amnesiac's that. Amnesiac's my fave. Yeah, then then it does feel special. Definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd like to talk about something else on on this topic if that's okay. That'd be, yeah, I'd love to hear. What you have I, to I'd like to bring I'd like to bring in the idea of love. Love. Um, I I think that I think that there's. You know, we've discussed a lot of things this episode, um, heavy things about fragmented selves and heteronormativity and 
personal, relational, and historical. And here's some painful. We've shared some some painful songs and some whimsical songs, but um, I think this is going to sound so cheesy, but I think there are th there's a thread. This is like this is my way of conceptualizing it. There's a thread at the end of all of your life, yeah. There's like your dying moments or something. There's, there's, there's the, the moment at the end of your experience on this planet. Are we talking like that's almost, the red string of fate, the, the red string of fate kind of deal? Kind of thing, yeah. There's something that's pulling you through all of your experiences. And, you know, like it could be will, like strength of character. I'm going to overcome this and conquer it. Determination, stubbornness, spite. You know, there's lots of different things. I will never but, die just to spite my enemies. Exactly. Um, but the one that I like to think about is is warmth, love. But but not love. I don't want to use the word love because it, it means so many things already. I think warmth, gentleness, softness. And I don't mean softness in the sense of like... I mean, it's a softness in one's own way of thinking about these things. I think when I talk about of... connection, I'm talking about a similar thing to you as well. Hmm. I'm thinking about like, yeah, like I'm thinking about not ha trying to trying to make those ways of thinking about yourself less spiky. Make them a bit. They're not going to get resolved, and they're still difficult to work with, but they're not going to be quite as painful. There's going to be a softness to them. There's going to be a malleability. You can hold them without them hurting you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we talked um, earlier in the episode about not being able to quickly get rid of the person that we became to protect ourselves as a child. So that softness, that warmth, that compassion um, that one, one can have for those parts is incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And um. It's going to be a song in quick succession, I think. Probably my last song of the episode. But By all means. Um, there's a song that, for me, just is the epitome of that. And it's beautiful and warm, and it's just a, a hug and a cup of tea. And we're now going, and we're now going to play Christina Aguilera's Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And here's Enter Sandman by Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd now like to play The Laughing Gnome by David Bowie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, man, I feel like a woman or something. God, there's so rabbit, many Rabbit, Rabbit, Rabbit by Chas and Dave. <laughs> um, Always in the, the kitchen song... at parties by Jonah Louis. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Saviour's Day by Cliff Richard. Yeah. Um, Buck's Fizz making your mind up. No. <laughs> England's entry for Eurovision 2021. <laughs> but but I, I, it's going to be a song by a band that I hero worship. And I have a, I have like multiple side vinyl by them because I, I'm obsessed with them. Um, the Raincoats. And the song is their kind of signature song called fairy tale in the supermarket and it is the most beautiful warm poetic just it's just it's the, one of the best things ever <laughs> it's one of the best songs ever made ever and one of the best things ever 
And every line in it is perfect and quotable. And it's just everything, everything to me. So this is Fairy Tale in the Supermarket by The Raincoats. Yeah, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Oh, the lyrics, like, no one teaches you how to live. You're rereading a book to feel reassured by the life of your favorite hero. Mm. Cups of tea are a clock, a clock, a clock, a clock. Mm. The roots of your thoughts, they're essentially polaroidal. Like, it's, like, don't look at me and say it's your mirror. Like, it's just the best song I've ever written. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. And... Yeah, I genuinely like for me that when I put on that record, um, I make a cup of tea when I sit down, I'm gonna be all right. Yeah, so that's that's what's keeping it together. That's what's keeping you together. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I just love, I love how slick it was. <laughs> I mean, it, the opposite of slick. So that's what keeps me together. <laughs> Episode end. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It 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 keeps me safe enough to hold it together. Yeah, it keeps me safe enough, like so, to not worry too much about keeping it together, and that can be enough sometimes. Yeah, because really, a sense of identity exists in so many different places. We code switch, and we we base ourselves on things that we might not often get to do. We base ourselves on uh, people we might not get to talk to. We base ourselves on these poor things that might not always take place. Like, say for an, uh, speaking less generally here, let's say one of my one of the ways in which I really define myself is by making people laugh. It, it's a huge part of my identity, and if I don't get to do that, um, I, I start. And especially if I try to do that and bail, I do start to feel a disconnect with my sense of identity. It's it's just really interesting to me that um I think the both of us really, we we find some of that that mooring, that return to a sense of identity in music. Yeah, always. Always, definitely. Like I um I mean there's so many things we could discuss. I've I've not even mentioned No, I mean we've talked I think what I'm trying to say is that we've there are so many other things we could discuss. I'm going to start again just for... So there are so many other things we could discuss in relation to identity. Like, we've been very much focused on queerness and and how that relates to the outside world. But we've, we've barely scratched the surface. We've not spoken about interacting with people. We've not we've not gone into detail about code switching, queer code switching. These are all topics we could we could have an, easily have an hour on. Well, I was going to say, if dear listeners, if there is something that you want to hear more about, then get in touch. Let us know where you want that discussion to go. And I mean, we've not touched upon race, ethnicity, country. <laughs> um, but yeah, if there's anything that you, if this has brought up anything for you that you think we've missed or you think that you'd like to add, then yeah, by all means, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Really do. Just. Um... Find us at all social media at Bringing Up the Queer. Uh, in this episode, we talked about how identity is formed by queer people at different rates, paces, and methods than by those who are cis, those who are straight. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about how we form our own identities. We've shared a bit of music, which 
speaks to us on those themes. Speaks to how we make sense of the world and how we've made sense of the world as uh, kids that have definitely grown up. And um, we were, we also um, discussed some more academic-y type ideas around the personal, the relational and the historical. But there's so many things we could discuss about other aspects of identity and external identities and how how external cultural identities are for I mean it's a it's a whole degree course isn't it definitely we'd really like to hear what you think what helps you keep it together what what gets you in touch with your sense of identity yeah what helps you feel like yourself or feel yeah what helps you reclaim yourself when the world has given you a bit of a of a denting yeah so get in touch with us um on all social media at bringing up the queer or email us at bringing up the queer at gmail.com and if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode in our queer to queer sharing segment uh let us know and we'd love to talk to you about keeping it together consistency and identity yeah you hate it when i get can don't you yeah i can't stand it <laughs> it's necessary on that note i want to say it has been lovely talking to you uh, and thank you everyone for tuning in yeah really well, we're ever so grateful and we love you all bye bye <laughs>